0: Andrew Peterson, who wrote that last song and sings it, uh, is one of my favorite artists. I encourage you to go on YouTube and see the uh, wonderful job they do with that, Is He Worthy? Well, we're coming to the end of the fifth chapter of Ephesians, and I really believe that no one in the 21st century can fully appreciate how amazing this passage is. Paul's critics have accused him of being a chauvinist, a rigid conservative, uh, Paul anti-women's rights. I would agree that Paul is opposed to women's rights. He's opposed to men's rights. He's opposed to us claiming our rights at all, but instead surrendering our rights. But when he wrote this passage in the first century and people read it, They would have considered him to be a radical revolutionary. He's writing in a society. Greco-Roman culture, Jewish culture was no respect, actually nothing at all for women or children. They were considered property. A Roman father had what they called patria potestas, the power of the father. He could take the life of his child with no penalty. A Jewish man, a Greek or Roman man could divorce his wife for any reason, just had to hand her a piece of paper. You salted my food improperly, you're gone. She would be destitute. Women had no rights. Into that culture Paul tells believers that they are to have mutual respect and even submit their wills to one another. It's indeed a radical position even for today. And so I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 through chapter 6 verse 4, and I really believe the first verse is the key. Listen carefully because it's the topic sentence submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. As I said before, the topic sentence really sets up this passage. Because we revere Jesus Christ, our family relationships should reflect mutual submission. Now, let's do some definitions. What does it mean to revere Jesus Christ? The Greek word there is phobos. You've heard of phobias. It's often translated as fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But I think the translators are right in translating it reverence. Because the fear of the Lord is to be reverential awe. I respect. I stand under the authority of Jesus Christ so much that it informs all of my relationships. He talks here about submission, mutual submission, It means to ultimately choose to be subject to another person's will and desires, to place their well-being before your own. That's what it means to be willingly submitted. If I demand that you meet my needs first, I'll be met with resentment, but if I choose to meet your needs, to serve you, I'm usually met with a positive response. My wife and I attended a wedding several years ago of a family member who was not a believer. Uh, The person doing the wedding was a justice of the peace and sounded like a computer, quite frankly. But the couple had written their own vows. And they both basically said, don't try to change me. I am what I'm going to be, and I'm not going to change for you or anybody else. And at the end of their vows, they said, I will be your husband as long as we both shall love. I will be your wife as long as we both shall love. I turned to Ann and said, I give it about a year. She responded, six months. She was right. The marriage lasted less than a year. Excuse me. When I do a wedding, I always say to couples, Christian marriage is like a triangle with Christ at the apex, husband and wife at the base. As the two of you come closer to Christ, you will come closer to one another. We need to revere Jesus Christ, and that informs a relationship. What happens if you're not the person I thought I married? Well, guess what? We're not. We're sinners. And because of that, love, the feeling of love can go away. But it's reverence for Christ. It's a commitment that keeps marriage is alive and thriving. As I said before, Paul calls us to mutual submission. He begins with wives. Wives are to submit in two ways. First, to their husband's leadership. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I I don't know how else to interpret that other than God calls husbands to be the spiritual leaders of their families. The fact that there are so few husbands in our culture doing that is largely responsible in my opinion for many of social our society's ills. <clears throat> Excuse me. Leadership in God's kingdom as Jesus tells us in the gospels is never lording your authority over someone else it's always servant leadership we'll talk some more about that when we talk about husband's submission the Billy Graham organization has published some amazing statistics we all know or should know that almost one in two marriages in America end in divorce but when a husband and wife both attend church regularly That number is halved, about one in four marriages end in divorce. If a couple attends church and Sunday school or a small group, again, it is halved to one in eight. However, if a couple attends church regularly, is part of a small group, and prays together regularly, one in 583 marriages end in divorce. That's a startling statistical disparity. What, what accounts for the difference? Well, you can go to church. You can be in a small group or a Sunday school class as a spectator. But when you are praying together, it requires spiritual unity. I can't pray with my wife if there's something wrong in our relationship. It has to be made right. When we pray together, we are united in reverence for Jesus Christ. Wives are to respect their husband, Paul says in verse 33. That word means simply to think well of. Men, being one I know, need affirmation, encouragement, and the praise that comes from a loving wife and children. Inside every man, I believe, is a little boy wondering whether he measures up. If a wife and kids really respect, think well of husband and father, it strengthens his hand in the Lord. When I was in Houston, Texas, I had a young couples class. It was a great, uh, large Sunday school class, but there was an even larger singles class called the Berean class about 300 uh, young singles men and women uh, in their 20s and 30s primarily and whenever they wanted someone to talk about marriage family that sort of thing they called on me because the singles pastor was single and he didn't know what he was talking about I would always address the young women in that class and say You need to find, for a husband, someone you can really respect, think well of. There was a woman in that class named Deborah who was in her mid-30s. She'd been married and divorced twice. She came into my office to talk with me, and she said, Pastor Dave, this was typical Texas language, Pastor Dave, my pickers broke. I said, explain that to me. She said, I always choose the wrong guy. She was drawn to the bad boy, the motorcycle guy, sort of living on the edge. The dangerous guy was very attractive to her, but the relationships were awful. At the same time, she had a a guy who she'd grown up with who was a good friend, and whenever she was in need, she would call this guy. He would come and uh, pick her up when her car broke down and help her with various things. And I said, well, what about him? She said, well, there's just no chemistry there. I said, chemistry is really overrated. You should have finished with that in high school. Is he someone that you could respect? The best foundation for marriage is respect and friendship. I did their wedding about six months after that meeting and they are still very happily married find someone if you're single that you can really respect now husbands you have the much much more challenging call from Jesus Christ verse 25 husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is the challenge of a lifetime. It's difficult. Why? Because we're sinners. We want, number one, to be taken care of first. But God is calling us here to serve our wives, to love our wives to give ourselves up for our wives i read a book a while back called the christian family by a christian counselor named larry christensen and he gave a practical application to this verse he said when a couple fights, argues has a disagreement which is inevitable if you don't disagree or fight somebody's in profound denial when that happens it is the responsibility of the husband to initiate reconciliation, whether he feels he's right or not. It's more important that the relationship be right than either party be right. Husbands initiate reconciliation because why? It's giving yourself up for your wife. Now, Anne said that I could share this story with you. Uh, we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary two years ago. And we both wanted to do something really special. Um, I wanted to go to southern Italy because I love art. I wanted to go to the Uffizi Museum in Florence, and I wanted to see the statue of David, which looks a great deal like myself. (laughs) Anne, however, is not as keen on art, but she loves God's art. She loves nature, and she has always wanted to go to Alaska. Uh, Guess where we went? Alaska was wonderful. It was a no-brainer. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Nurturing and cherishing your wife. I saw this cartoon, Pickles. It's one of my favorites by Brian Crane. Uh, Two older guys are talking, and the one says, I had an appointment with my audiologist. It turns out that my hearing loss is the exact same frequency as my wife's voice. The other guy says, well, what did your wife say when she heard that? I said, who knows? (laughs) Listening. Listening is a crucial part of nurturing and cherishing. I'll sometimes be reading and Anne will be talking to me and she says, Dave, you're not listening. And I'll say, yes, I am. You just said dot, 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 I heard what she said, but I am not paying attention. I'm not listening. I am not nurturing and cherishing her as she speaks. It also means sharing husbands on an emotional level. That's not always comfortable for us, but it's necessary I remember counseling with a couple in my first senior pastorate. He was an elder. Um, They were, it seemed, a uh, wonderful couple, but she was profoundly unhappy. And as they began to speak, the first thing she said was, he never tells me that he loves me. And he actually uttered the classic line, I told her I loved her when we get married and if it changes, I'll let her know. Anything but nurturing and cherishing on an emotional level. Cherishing involves the transfer of loyalties. Paul quotes Genesis. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two become one flesh. Also in that church, there was a guy who's uh, lost his father and his widowed mother lived in the neighborhood He would come home from work and stop at her house first before going home every day Monday through Friday. It gave the wrong message to his wife. We're to leave emotionally as well as physically. Now what about children and parents? Uh, Since this is Tyler's first service, I'm going to give two illustrations from my 13 years as a youth pastor. I had a girl come to youth group one uh, Sunday night and she told me that she would had a huge fight with her mother and her mother had grounded her, told her she couldn't come to youth group but the girl quoted scripture she said Hebrews 10 25 says do not forsake the assembling of the saints I'm gonna obey God rather than you mom and so she came to youth group and she quoted that same verse to me Uh, bad mistake to quote scripture with the pastor I said you know if your mother forbid you to come to worship you might have a a point but that's not saying thou shalt go to youth group there's a more important commandment and I quoted to her both the verses in Ephesians 6 children obey your parents for this is right not if they are right and honor your father and your mother. I told her, go home, ask your mother's forgiveness, and don't come back until she gives you permission. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Also, in that youth group, we had a tradition that I started when I first went there that we would bring in the new year with all-night bowling. Uh, We would be at the bowling alley from midnight to six and then we'd all go out to breakfast together and then go home and crash well there was a girl who had been in the youth group from seventh grade to twelfth grade and every year her parents had not given her permission to go so when she was a senior in high school she said please mom and dad i've wanted to do this my entire time in school and this was her mother's reply go ahead Do what you want. You'll do what you want anyhow, but you know I can't sleep when you're out. The girl told me this story with tears in her eyes, and they were tears of frustration and anger. Her mother was basically saying, You're disobedient, disrespectful, and furthermore, you don't care about me. Parents, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now there's a difference of opinion on this classic phrase, because I said so. Some people think that's just fine. Um, I do with qualifications. I think it's a last resort in parenthood. Why? Because what we're trying to do as parents is train our children toward independence And so giving them the reason for our decision is a part of that process so they can understand why. And when they, in turn, become parents, can be able to give reasons to their children. Now, if the child, after an explanation, continues to whine and uh, will not accept it, eventually you do say, hey, I'm the parent, and I'm making a decision that's best for you It's because I said so. We are to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Once again, Christ initiated this process. Jesus willingly submitted himself to the Father for our sake. Jesus willingly submitted himself to you and me as sinners. To die for us that we might have life. Jesus nurtures us, He cherishes us, He feeds us with the bread of life. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, We love because you first loved us. We serve because you first served us. And we submit to one another because you first submitted to the Father, even unto death, death on a cross. Therefore, you are highly exalted and given the name above every name, that at your name, Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that you are Lord to the glory of the Father. Lord Jesus, we pray that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would set apart these elements from their common use and make this to be for us a sacred moment, a sacrament in which we are fed by the bread and we are cleansed by the cup. Lord, thank you for all that you have done for us. And thank you that you give us the power to truly love one another as you have loved us. We pray in your holy and blessed name. Amen.